0: Well, 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 lucky, lucky you, a special bonus episode of Book Therapy. This is Rob Cohen. And uh, it was only a couple nights ago that Phil and I uh, recorded. And uh, since that time, uh, I did finally finish um, Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand, Ayn Rand, Arian Arjun. I don't know what her name is. Um, and so I decided that uh, I didn't want to wait any longer before talking about this one because. It's certainly fresh in my mind, and I wanted to talk about it before I forgot about uh, about the book. So Atlas Shrugged by Anne Ayn Rand. I, honestly, I don't know how to say her name, uh, nor do I really care, but uh, yeah, I, Ayn Rand. Um, anyways, uh, this is a book that had been on my radar for quite a long time. Obviously, I've known about it, but had never picked it up, never really felt any type of an interest in reading it. Um, I was always somewhat intimidated by the book and uh, also kind of unsure what it was about. Um, not that its size was particularly um, intimidating to me, but more what its, its subject matter was. Um, and so it's just not something I had ever really had any interest in picking up. But uh, as you know, uh, every year I put out a list of the top 10 books that uh, I've read during the year. And after having put out my list in, oh gosh, it must have been 2012 or 13, I really don't know what it was, uh, a friend of mine, somebody who, who gets my lists, um, contacted me and said, well, if you haven't already read a book, may I make a recommendation? And so I went to a, a networking meeting and she brought the book to me and it was in this huge, or not this huge, it was in like a gift bag, a gift bag you know, paper bag type of a thing, and it weighed a lot. I mean, it was really heavy, and so I pulled it out. Oh, okay, Atlas Shrug. Sure, I've, I've heard of this book before, but uh, I'm not familiar with it, and as you know, because I've mentioned it on, uh, on the podcast before, that I will pretty much read anything if, uh, if somebody recommends it. I've certainly encouraged all of you to give me recommendations, although few of you have. Um, But yeah, so I I pretty much will read anything that's recommended to me, and so I told this person that, uh, of course, I would would take the book and read it. And I took it back and um, put it on my shelf, and it became just another book on my to-be-read file. Um, And it never really occurred to me that I would ever actually get to read the book, other than it was one of those books that I always had the best of intentions to read, but it was never really the right time. Certainly the size... While not intimidating to me, it is a reason not to read the book. It is 1,170 pages long, or just a little bit shy of that. And it's not that it's that long that I'm. In, I don't read long books because, as you know, uh, you know, last year sometime we were, I read The Stand, which was 1,400 pages, and the uh, Ken Follett Century trilogy. Each of those books were nine to uh, 900 pages, if not more. But for whatever reason. It was just the idea that this was going to be a book that I'd have to live with for a good amount of time, whether it be a few weeks to month, um, and that there were other books that I wouldn't be able to read at the time. I pretty much just said, I'll get to it when I feel like it. And for whatever reason, um, pretty much at the beginning of March, I decided that it was the right time. I had over time looked when i would go to use bookstores to find the book in paperback because my friend stephanie had given the book to me in hardcover um and it's just a heavy heavy book and so i didn't figure that i'd be able to hold the hardcover um to read a 1100 1200 page book and so i was looking for it in uh in paperback and so i did find a a used copy of the book in paperback and i bought it um And then I got to a point where I was just about ready to start reading the book, and I started flipping through this paperback. And the age of the book made it impossible to read. And the reason being is because the pages had been yellowed. Um, Not only were the pages yellowed, but they had gotten darker. And because of how long the book was, the, the writing was so small on each of the pages that I really felt that it would it was going to be a difficult process for me to read the book out of the paperback due to the small size of the printing and the darker pages because I do a lot of reading at night. I read a lot on the couch or on my bed and sometimes the lighting isn't that great and um, I don't really like having to squint to see the pictures uh, to see the the writing. So even though I'd gotten this used book I decided I was going to try and find a clean brand new copy of the book in paperback. And not really knowing what I was in for, uh, I went to Barnes and Noble and I did find a brand new copy of the paperback, the regular pocketbook size, although you know over almost 1100 pages long. And so I, I picked it up and bought it and um, decided that I was going to read out of the paperback book. And so one evening after I'd finished whatever other book I was reading, I picked up the paperback and I decided that was the time I was going to start. And just to give you a, a little bit of heads up as far as how the book um, related to the hardcover, the paperback was about 100 pages less than the hardcover. And so I figured, well, here I am. I'm going to read the, uh, the paperback. And it's not only going to be easier to hold because it will certainly be lighter, but I'll be able to read it faster because it won't be as many pages long. And so at that, that night, I started the book. And it took me what felt like an hour to read 20 pages. And I had no clue what was going on, and I thought, holy crap, what have I gotten myself into? Now, that was the beginning of the reading experience, and now I'm going to jump to the end, and I'm going to tell you that I liked the book. Um, I liked the book because of what it stood for, because of the monumental achievement that was its writing, and it really did, for the most part, hold my interest, and it conveyed some significant political, sociological, and philosophical insight and uh, discussions. However, that being said, I am astounded that anybody has ever actually read this book, because the way I look at it is you really, really have to love reading in order to read this book. And that's not to say that the book itself isn't of significant quality, because it is. But you know me you know that I'm somebody who loves to read and I read uh, you know a good 50, 60, 70 books a year and in all my spare time I want to read I even created a podcast that I believe I'm the only one that listens to just so I have a place to talk about the books that I read and this book was a struggle for me it was a struggle to focus on it was a struggle to force myself to read at times and certainly its length and the writing got to be very, very draining And so when I post on Facebook that I'm reading this book and I get a lot of people I know who have said that they love the book, they would love to read it again, or they've read it multiple times, and these are people, by the way, who I would never perceive to be readers, you know, voracious readers of the kind that I am, that's where it's kind of surprising to me. You really need to love to read, or you need to really connect with the story and connect with the theological Insight, and I think that's where a lot of people do get their love and attention and and um, devotion to this book. You know, every year we go to the L.A. Times Festival of Books down at USC, and there's always a a booth set up, and the booth is devoted to Atlas Shrugged and the teachings of Ayn Rand, to the point where you know it because you know it's them because they have the signs up that say, "Who is John Galt." And I've always walked by there kind of intimidated by them because I always felt that they had some insight into a world that I had never understood nor was privy to because I'd never read the book. And so during the reading of this book, I did at times have um, fleeting thoughts about going to the Festival of Books this year and confronting Confronting is probably not the right word, uh, but engaging with these people who are uh, manning the booths of the Who is John Galt t- tent um, to find out what it is that they connect to the book, what what how they connect to the book, and why they've um, even gone so far as to man this booth or promote these quote-unquote teachings. Because I've never really been that connected to any single book where I felt not only the need to read um, multiple times, but also the the connection on a deep-seated philosophical or, or psychological or sociological or theological basis. Uh, n- notwithstanding the fact that, let's not forget, this is a, a work of fiction. Um, it's not a textbook. It's not a treatise. It's not a uh, um, any type of a philosophical dissertation. So I did have thoughts while I'm reading the book of the opportunity to con- to to engage with some of these people about the the book Atlas Shrugged. Um, other than a knowledge of the book itself, the only other um, information that I had about Ayn Rand was um, that she'd written the book The Fountainhead, and she'd had some other books written, uh, published, Anthem and whatever else it is, but I knew nothing about them. Nor did I really have any interest. The idea of... An individual who wrote a book, or many books, fiction, and to whom so many people have become devoted followers, was on itself a distraction, because I viewed the connection or the following of Ayn Rand as something similar to, say, Scientology, or and that's probably not the right terminology, but you know the the branch Davidians, wherever it's a cult that there's there's got to be some cultish aspect to it. There's a, a you know it, people don't just pick up fiction books and say I'm now going to utilize this book as the basis for all of my my belief system. You know you look at a book like Battlefield Earth or Dianetics or whatever it is. To me, not 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 the knowledgeable, not the well informed. Look at that as a little bit not it just doesn't i don't understand it how somebody or groups of people thousands of people millions of people can establish a connection with a fiction book and so that's another aspect of prior to reading this book that did make me nervous not that i was going to end up being one of these converteds um but that I wasn't going to get it, that I was going to be reading it with a level of suspiciousness, um, a higher level of curiosity, but more on the level of, of not disdain, but um, just lack of comprehension about it. Because I treat my fiction as fiction. I don't treat it as, um, as, as treatises or Uh, spiritual teachings, and and maybe that's a failure that I have in my reading, is I just don't, I don't perceive the books that way, and a lot of the reason why is because the books that I read aren't of the same ilk as an Atlas Shrugged, they're obviously more the mystery thriller and suspense and, and things like that. So all of that is now figuring into this one month ago, reader who is now picking up Atlas Shrugged for the first time, and it takes an hour to get through 20 pages, and the first thoughts after I close the book is, how the hell am I going to finish this? I'm used to banging out 50 to 75 pages in an hour, and here I am trying struggling to get through 20 pages, and understanding that 20 pages out of an almost 1,200-page book is a drop in the bucket, and it's going to be what seemed to be a thousand more drops in the bucket just to get through this book and i was really really concerned that my previous fears about reading the book were going to come true that it wasn't just going to be a few weeks it was going to end up being months that it was going to take me to read this book and so even just after the first 20 pages i had the concept that i was just going to put it down and and uh, and not read anymore not that it wasn't interesting that I guess the first 20 pages were somewhat interesting, but I had no clue what was going on. I wasn't sure where the story was going. Even though I'd read the, um, the description of the book, I had done no other research. There's an introduction that's contained both in the uh, hardcover and in the paperback, and I didn't read the introduction. i have been burned before reading the introduction, before I read a book I'm not familiar with. And so I had no idea what to expect. I truly, truly didn't know anything about the book. But I had told my friend that I was going to read it, and I damned what was going to do my best to give it the old college try, so to speak. But I'd be damned if I was going to do it out of the paperback because it seemed to take forever just to turn those pages. So after that first evening, I pulled the old uh, hardcover off the shelf, and I realized that even though it was another hundred pages in length, that that obviously meant that the pages were shorter and the printing was a little bit larger. And I realized that it would probably be easier for me to read it out of the hardcover, easier on my eyes, as well as easier on my ego, where I would feel as if I was making progress because I would be able to flip the pages a little bit faster than I would in the paperback. And so for the most part, I read the vast, vast majority of the book out of the hardcover. Now, I did keep the paperback around, and every evening or a couple evenings, I would advance my bookmark in the paperback in order to catch up to where I was in the hardcover. And I'd bring the paperback if I was going to court or if I was going to, um, you know, someplace where I'd be able to bring my book. But for the most part, I'd say I read... uh, the vast, vast majority—probably a good thousand to almost eleven 1, hundred pages of the book out of the hardcover—and so my uh, my forearms certainly did get a little bit stronger. My biceps seemed to get a little stronger, um, and it it was an uncomfortable read. It it definitely was an uncomfortable read, but one that I'm glad that I finally did did undertake. Now, do I have any interest in reading more about Ayn Rand and her theory of ob- objectivism? No. Not particularly, and I understand that the book The Fountainhead is very similar theories on, uh, uh, and themes, but, uh, but uh, my understanding is it's not only similar, similar themes and theories to Atlas Shrugged, however, in a much more palatable and digestible format, i.e. much more about the characters and character-driven as opposed to Atlas Shrugged, which is really more about the theology with the characters playing major roles but the theolo- but but they are they are tools for the promotion of her theology um, so i don't know whether i really have any interest in reading the fountainhead Um, I I, I bought it in uh, paperback used a while ago because frankly at that point I was confused as to which of the books I was supposed to read so I just got that one Um, but I'm not sure if I'm actually going to read it It, if I do it'll end up being a a fairly long time from now because I just need a break this is a heavy heavy book you really have to concentrate you really have to focus you have to keep the characters uh, straight and you also have to really digest each and every word because this is a book where each and every word does have meaning I had read a a, uh, a little bit of research I didn't do much while I was reading the book um, about Ayn Rand and the publishing of Atlas Shrugged and I think the information said that it the book took about 10 years for her to get published and that she shopped it around to a lot of different publishers and they all wanted her to, to edit uh, and she refused to and to me I see how the book could have used some edits. Um, There were passages which seemed to be too long. The book is broken up, by the way, into three sections, uh, section one, section two, section three. And I'll get back a little bit later into the sections and my reading process. But um, it, it the chapters, each of the sections has about 10 chapters. And when you think about each section being 350 to 400 pages long and only having about 10 chapters, and that in the chapters there are very few breaks in the chapters, then you realize that it, it's a long, arduous process, that you really have to be able to focus, that the action is not fast. Um, it's a lot of um, lengthy speeches and diatribes, Um, a lot of descriptions, and so you really do have to focus. It was uh, only about page 1,000 or so, maybe 950, where it occurred to me that uh, if you were to create a drinking game for Atlas Shrugged, and you were to drink, every time you saw the words as if, meaning a comparison, uh, as if this, as if that, that you'd probably be well on your way to being hammered after the first few pages. Because a lot of the book is, uh, is the authors describing something and then coming up with further and further descriptions or metaphors to support that same description. It was as if his heart had been taken out and stomped on, as if he no longer had any blood pumping through his system, as if all of his lifeblood had been drained from his body, as if he no longer, you understand, as if, as if, as if, as if, as if. That after 950 pages, it occurred to me that it started to get distracting, where I started to pay attention to the fact that she was constantly saying as if. And it would make the paragraphs go lengthier, and then the pages get longer, and then the chapters seem longer. So I can see how some editors um, would have wanted her or encouraged her to make edits, Um, but I think it, not knowing anything about the author herself, but having this perception of her, I I can see that there was probably a bit of um, narcissism to her where she refused to agree to any edits, that not only was this her epic tome but nobody could write it as well as she nobody understood the material as well as she and damn it nobody's going to change a goddamn word because it's exactly the way she wants it and and i don't know if that's accurate i don't know if Anne rand ayn rand i don't know if the author was really like that um or if she was a wonderful kind-hearted warm loving person i really have no idea Um, But just the, again, as I take all of the extraneous information and perceptions about her and the book that I previously had, you know, combine them all together, it creates this picture of a woman who was incredibly dynamic, but forceful and dignified and really unwavering, not only in her beliefs, but in her uh, belief, her self-importance. And so, again, all of these things are going through my mind as I'm reading and slogging through page after page after page. Well, it became clear to me after I'd gotten about 50 to 100 pages into the book that I was probably going to lose my mind if I tried to read this thing all the way through. I would either stop reading it because I got frustrated. I would just put the book down and never come back to it. Or I would end up slogging through it, but it would take me too long, months and months and months to read. So I figured that the only way that I would get be able to get through the book and to keep my sanity would be to reward myself kind of a funny way of putting it reward myself for completing portions of the book and those rewards would be to put the book down and read something else. So I said to myself, the deal that I made was that after each section of the book, and there were three I would stop reading the book and I would go read something else. So after I had finished the first section of the book, I put it down and I went and read um, a book called The Godwolf Manuscript by Robert B. Parker, which was the first book in the Spencer for Hire series from 1970 something. And then after I finished the second part of the book, I put it down and I read The Girl in 6E by A.R. Torres and I read so I read those on my, on my Kindle, and I knew they were going to be kind of um, distracting novels just to give me a brief respite before I delved back into the, the weight and the heft of Atlas Shrugged. And I think that really helped because I really don't know that I would have been able to get through all 1,200 pages of this book without taking any breaks. I just didn't have the drive or the attention span or the commitment to the book. I know as I read it fundamentally that I should have been reading it with an eye towards digestion. But when you get a book of this size and the pages start to drag together and you have no relief from the intensity and from the the weight you have the the, the tendency to to uh, to 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 want to be superficial in your reading. You don't want to delve too deep, because the longer that you focus on the portions of the book, the longer it's going to take you to read it. And I know that there are lots of people out there who have read this book and have sat there and gone over and over and over again and have digested it and continued to digest it and then redigested it because their purpose was to explore the theology and completely internalize. The entirety of the philosophy but that wasn't my goal my goal here wasn't to be converted my goal here wasn't to um to have this book become a staple of of my uh you know reading history it wasn't for me to um, discover a brand new way of thinking about the world or society or anything like that it was for me the purpose of reading the book was to read it and to complete it and to tell my friend that I'd finished it and that I liked it and thank you very much and here's your book back. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that I I didn't get out of the book what I needed to get out of. Um, I still absolutely understood the theology of it. I absolutely understood um, her theory of objectivism and um, definitely the the, uh, impetus for her book. But I'm sure that there's a lot of the stuff out of it that I, I didn't get. And maybe that's a product of the way I read the book. And maybe that's also a product of the fact that philosophy hasn't really been a subject that I had a lot of interest in. So I was able to get out of this book what I wanted. And if there's stuff I missed, well, I don't feel as if I am in any way diminished by not having uh, digested those portions. Um but so the, the, the book itself, if you're not familiar, it takes place in uh, a dystopian United States, I guess, because it's never actually discussed. Uh, at first, when I read the book, I figured it was taking place in the 1950s, and I was able to picture uh, basically the settings in two different alternatives. One was that this was the uh, the setting of the movie The Hudsucker Proxy, and that's what it looked like. Everything looked as if it looked in the movie The Hudsucker Proxy. And our hero, Dagny Taggart, was uh, sem- similar to uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, I think that's who it was, who was in The Hudsucker Proxy. And the other hero, Hank Reardon, was a Tim Robbins-type character, but with a, a much more harder edge and a much more focused um, determination about his his importance, and his duty. The other uh, picture that I had for the book was a movie that came out a while ago, I think with Gwyneth Paltrow, called Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. And it was a very dystopian-looking movie with its its grays and its, uh, um, I don't know, whatever, washed-out uh, canvas of film. Um, so those were the two perspectives, pictures that I had in my mind as I as I read the book. And it was a little bit like I was uh, it wasn't distracting so much because it helped set the setting, but it did take me into a situation where I, I, I didn't pick up on the fact that it was a dystopia until later. And the, the later is uh, the situations in which some of the characters are describing what's happening outside of the United States, and you find out that all of these other countries are called the people's state of France and the people's state of England and whatever it is. And you get the feeling that the world is not as we perceive it to be the world of atlas shrugged is is different from the world that we're experiencing and so that took a little bit of time for me to get used to but anyways the book takes place in this dystopian united states centering around um basically a couple of different characters um like i mentioned dagney taggart who is the vice president of a nationwide um train company taggart taggart transcontinental um and then there's a, a gentleman by the name of Hank Reardon, who is Reardon Steel, and he's a big steel man. He makes steel and develops brand new steel and is a steel inventor and, and steel um, the businessman. And then you've got um, basically the the rest of the world, so to speak, or at least the rest of the country, that has adopted a, a premise for their society that is in direct contravention with the beliefs of a Dagny and a Hank Reardon and a few select others. And that basically is where the fundamental conflict of the story takes place. You have Dagny and Hank and a couple of, of other minor characters who come in and out and then develop more prominence as the story goes, who are focused on the belief that the uh, the people should benefit from the product of their own endeavors and that if you are um, you know focusing on your industry and development and into uh, um, not intuition um, innovation and um, that you will work hard that you should benefit for your efforts that's you know basically the the idea of as far as my politics uh, political knowledge is it's a theory of capitalism you know that the the market will bear out what's valuable and what's not and the alternative or the contra to this is what the rest of the country is trying to promote, or at least its politicians who are in charge are trying to promote, which is that the moral law needs to govern, which is you need to take care of everybody else first, basically. And so the the best example of, of this in process was when one of the characters is describing what happened at the factory where he used to work, and the description is that it began to be Um, about what other people needed as opposed to what they were worth. And so their pay, their salary was commensurate not with how valuable they were to the company, but with how much of a need they had. So if you were sick, then you had a bigger need than the person next to you who wasn't sick and therefore you would get more pay. Or if you needed surgery, then everybody else would have to take less money so that you could have your surgery. And it really was a bit of a, a survival of the weakest, whereas those of them who were the most fit and who could produce felt less incentive to produce because the benefits of their production was not going to them, but was going to other people. The the, the more needy, the less fortunate. And so it basically created this slowdown in the economy where you had the people who were the great producers and the great innovators who were finding no reason to continue to innovate because they weren't able to benefit from those efforts. And you had then Dagny and Hank Reardon um, who were resisting that, who had the belief that they still could benefit from their own efforts and that this was not the way of the world. Um, Now... You don't really get an idea from Dagny or Hank what they ultimately see as their end game, other than the fact that they can't let go of who they are and their their capitalism, their into their innovation, their focus on industry and on, on um doing the best they could and reaping those benefits is something that's kind of ingrained in them. And that sets them apart from everybody else. But during the course of the book, you don't really see at least it doesn't at least from my recollection it's not discussed by either of them of what they figured was going to ultimately happen whether they believed that they could outlast everybody else or when the economy fell that they'd be able to um, to correct it or save it. it it doesn't ever seem to be very clear because all they really do is they work they fight for their beliefs and then they kind of react as the economy crumbles around them, and it really ends up being a, a crumbling economy where you find out about not just um, entire uh, uh, communities that close down, obviously lots of business closes down, uh, electricity turns off, there's no more production of raw materials, thus there can be no more production of necessary materials, and that obviously then affects everything, and there are some very good scenes in the book where the description of how the materials are being used because there is a shortage of items such as the steel or copper, the government makes the decision about where those limited resources should go and who should benefit from them. So the decision is, well, we're running out of steel. We only have this much. Send it to Minnesota, but the people in California need it. Well, the people in Minnesota need it more. And it's always this kind of... uh, uh, We're getting there a day late and a dollar short reaction. Everything was reactionary. For whatever reason, and it's not described in the books, the politicians seem to believe that this theory was working. Uh, They don't want to see any reason, because reason, by the way, is not something that they're privy to. Reason and intuition is not a focus of their theology. Their theology is morally, meaning don't step on other people. Take care of other people well, take care of other people to your own detriment doesn't seem to be morally appropriate, but that's not something that these politicians really want to focus on. But we don't get much of a backstory as to how it came this way, Um, why it happened. It didn't just happen in that one factory that the one character tells us about. Although what we find out is there is a a hero, um, and the hero's story did start in that factory. And he, to some extent, became the orchestrator of this entire slowdown of the economy. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, because he slowed down the economy, but, and and the the, uh, terminology that's used is, he slowed down the motor of the world. And it's all about uh, motors and mechanics and things like that. But whereas he may have slowed down the motor of the world, it was the politicians who prevented the motor from starting independently, because the the uh, philosophy that they espoused and the policy that they created for the entire country was one that could not end up sustaining a viable economy. And for whatever reason, they they couldn't see it. They were only focused on taking care of today. They never said what's the future going to be look like and how do we uh, uh, deal with the future. Um, and they end up you know talking to Dagny at one point and saying can you help us and her answer is there's nothing I can do you don't have any answers for what's going to happen tomorrow you just want to focus on today and obviously that's not a way to create policy and that's not a way to create in a a, a, uh, um, a financially stable economy but so I basically just told you everything you need to know about the book And I did it in less than 1,170 pages. And so that's where you see a little bit of my frustration with the book and a little bit of my my being disconcerted with the author for refusing to allow editing. Because it's really overwritten. It's really overwritten to the point where it takes her 20 lines to say the same thing that she could have said in one line and the writing is beautiful don't get me wrong she definitely does have a way with the language and and crafting her sentences but it it just it starts to get repetitive it starts to get monotonous the constant as if as if as if as if when all you had to do was say it once and we the reader get it now i don't know what brings that on? And, and this is another part of the book that was uh, intimidating to me and even now still is intimidating to me. And that's the fact that the author is clearly, clearly smarter than anybody else in the world. She is the smartest person and she's smarter than all her readers. And part of me viewed this book as an ego trip for her to demonstrate to everybody how smart she was, I mean, the book is broken up into three sections, and the three sections make no sense at all. Um, the first section is called "non." Hold on, let me find it for you. "Non contradiction." The second section is called "either or," and the third section is called "a is a." And then you have all these chapters, and each of the the thirty chapters in the book, they all have their own chapter names, and. It doesn't make any sense and i know that for the author she's probably sitting there back or obviously not anymore she's no longer alive but she either sat there as she was reading it laughing about the fact that nobody understood what she was talking about or she was sitting back smirking about how smart she was and so that to me is always off-putting i i don't have a problem with smart people i have a problem when people constantly need to show me how smart they are and that to me is what this book at times felt like um, i got to page a thousand last night uh, in the hardcover so only had 169 pages left and it was eight thirty. and i thought i've got nothing else to do tonight i'll just sit and read and hopefully i can finish the book tonight and it seriously took me five hours and I only read 125 pages. The problem with that was the chapter that I started on, which was called, it was chapter uh, eight, no, chapter seven of the third part of the book, and it was called, This is John Galt Speaking. And if you have read the book, you know exactly what chapter I'm talking about. It is 70 pages with no breaks of one guy giving a radio broadcast. And it was so repetitive to the point where I seriously had given thought to skimming or skipping to get to the end of that chapter because it was dragging on so long. And that, by the way, is probably the chapter that most of the devotees of Ayn Rand are focusing on because that encapsulates her entire theory of this objectivism, which, again, I'm not entirely sure what it is, but it, to me, seems like it's more capitalism than anything else but i'm sure that's the chapter that everybody focuses on because that's a chapter where john galt this uh, elusive and and um potentially made up character finally describes everything that's wrong with the world and why he has taken the actions he's taken which is to quote unquote slow down the motor of the world but it didn't really need 70 pages and those 70 pages probably took me three hours to read And it dragged, and it was hard to stay focused. And it felt at times like I was reading, um, you know, a treatise. That I was worried I was going to be tested on it. And it just, to me, needed to be shorter. Um, And a lot of parts of the book needed to be shorter. We've seen, um, we've seen classic novels of literature that are way long, such as *War and Peace* and, and *Les Mis*. Or Hunchback of Notre Dame that have been um, abridged, and I wonder why it never occurred to anybody to abridge this book. Because it seems to me that it can easily be abridged. Now I'm not saying it needs to be 300 pages, and you can accomplish everything in that same 300 pages. But you know, you could have done a five, six, seven hundred page book. Obviously, it still would have been incredibly weighty and heavy, but it would have been to me more readable. And maybe that's just me, that's, um, you know, because I know that people are picking this book up every day. People are still reading it. And again, I am impressed that even the casual reader would have picked this book up and read it because you really, really have to love reading. Unless you're picking it up for a a class where you don't have an option. If you're picking this book up because you want to read it for pleasure, you have to really love reading. Um, So one of the other parts of the book that I did find a little bit problematic was the last two chapters of the book where it finally comes to its conclusion. Because up until now, the first 1,125 pages had been pretty uneventful as far as action goes. There isn't much action. Uh, It's a lot of people talking. It's a lot of reacting to events that take place, but events that take place outside of your reading, such as a chapter would begin On December 16th, the rail line from, uh, you know, San Francisco to Denver broke. Okay, that's it. You don't, you know, and then it describes, and the people couldn't leave, and Vital Wheat couldn't get from this place to that place, but it's all, you know, outside of the readership. And yet, it occurred to me, or potentially, maybe it died, maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed to me that the author got to page 1125 or so and said, okay, crap, how am I going to end this thing? Because it seemed as if she'd gotten into a place where she couldn't end the book. Because the, the person, this John Galt, who has been the major fo- force in disrupting the politicians' policies, had been captured. And he was being tortured because the politicians had decided that John Galt was the only one who could save them. And so they were trying to basically force him to implement his new policy in order to save the country and he was refusing he was refusing for obviously you know his own reasons which were um his belief that the country had to fail in order to start up again and that the politicians didn't truly believe in his his theology um but they were attempting to placate him in order to save themselves and so they they uh, attempted to get him to willingly agree to Um, to assist and lead the country in recovery, and he had repeatedly refused. So after they've attempted numerous, numerous times to get him to agree, and he has repeatedly refused, they decide that they're going to take him to a uh, a science institute in New Hampshire, and they're going to torture him. And so they get him into this facility, and they take off all his clothes, and they either handcuff, chain him to a bed, and then they apply electric uh, you know, uh, connectors to various parts of his body, and they turn up the electricity, and they watch him writhe in pain and discomfort in an attempt to break him. And the thing that they don't understand, and as the reader you finally do get it, is that there's no amount of physical torture that can break a man's mind, and that's kind of what they were trying to to dis, to describe, which is that this John Gall character, his belief system was so entrenched that no amount of physical torture was going to break him. And the interesting alternative or the, the contradiction to that is that one of his torturers is physically broken or mentally broken uh, because of the torture that's being inflicted because he had so much believed in the the theory of the politicians that John Galt's refusal to concede or even to, at that point, rescue the country was so detestable to this character who happened to be Dagny's brother, the president of the the railroad line, that he absolutely collapsed and could not continue to go on anymore and needed to be removed because he basically had determined that there was nothing left to live for. Um, And so as this is going on, you, you know, as I mentioned, that it, it appeared that the author couldn't figure out how to end the book because she'd taken her hero, so to speak, and she'd put him into a situation where he's being tortured, and he wasn't willing to concede to the demands, but by his failure, his refusal to concede to the demands, he was thereby dooming the country to disaster, and there's nothing else to do. How, how do you get to your conclusion what's your uplifting relief what how do you get there and this is where i started to laugh actually out loud as i'm reading the book because she created a rescue and dagny and hank reardon and the other characters who were prominent supporters of john galt they get to the science institute guns blazing and they're rescuing him and they're shooting guards and Dagny is shooting a security guard and hank reardon is getting shot and they're shooting security guards and uh one of the characters francisco de Aconia, puts on a silencer and shoots somebody in it and then they rescue him and they wing him away and you find out that they get him into the airplane as they're taking him away and all of these other supporters of john galt were all in their airplanes waiting to come to his rescue if this rescue operation wasn't successful and it's, it's kind of like, wait, hold on a second, hold on. So you spent 1,125 pages or more at that point telling me about the power of the mind and how important the mind is and innovation and um, you know the, the, the focus on individuality and objectivism. And yet the way that you resolve the issues is you create a gunfight and a rescue operation with these characters who... I can't perceive would ever have picked up a gun in their life. And yet here's Dagny point blank shooting a security guard in the chest or in the face where it was. It just seemed wrong. It seemed as if the author couldn't figure out a way to end the book. And so that's how she did it. Um, And yeah, so it just didn't, it didn't seem to fit with the rest of the book. Now, I don't know what the better way of resolving the story could have been. I'm not sure. But to me, that wasn't it. And it's not that it made the book any worse or that it took it down a peg for me. It just seemed antithetical to the whole rest of the book. In fact, there's parts of the speech that John Galt is making over these 70 pages where he mentions the fact of their, the, the lack of violence, that there shouldn't be violence. And yet, here he is, the benefactor or the beneficiary of the most violent act that can be done, you know, point blank murder, and as part of this this rescue operation. But, anyways, the book ends, and um, the the book ends on a little bit of a down note, but with the hope of of uh, um, optimism that now that the country has seen ro- has hit rock bottom, that these innovators and um, businessmen and capitalists can now resurrect the country on their own terms, without these politicians getting in the way, presumably, because the politicians kind of just disappear, they don't, nothing ever happens to them, they just disappear right before the rescue, and they're not heard from again. Um, but that, yeah, so that that's Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, and I tried to explain to um, my daughter what the name of the book meant, And there's a portion of the book where they uh, explain it. And actually, I I had it a little differently. Um, So go go figure, I'm wrong. Um, But, you know, it it does make sense. The idea that Atlas is holding up the world um, and any attempt at... um, you putting the earth in a in a place where it's more comfortable for him will set things off kilter and set things off balance, and that seems to be what the result of or what what brought upon this complete fundamental political and philosophical change in the in the uh, in the country or in the world. Um, so at least that didn't didn't have. I didn't have that more much of a difficult time understanding the title. The parts of the book, the, the names of the chapters and everything, yeah, I'm completely lost. And, and the, the problem with having read a book this long is I don't really have the interest right now to go and, and figure it out. I, I am not going to read these introductions. Um, I'm not going to sit there and try and get through the explanation of the book or the theology behind objectivism. For right now, I just don't care um, because I'm just beat. You know, I'm winded. I'm, I'm. Um, I feel as if I've gone through a significant uh, battle in getting through this book. I feel a significant sense of accomplishment, but I also feel as if it was a slog. It was a a tough undertaking, and whenever I hear about other people who I don't know to be true voracious readers I am impressed that they were able to get through this book and it's a book that I' I have given thought to that could be should be read by other people I know that I could recommend to other people I know but I don't know anybody that really has the um, the the focus and the dedication to get through this book I just don't uh, I I it just takes that type of a commitment that um, I don't know anybody that has. Um, as I read it, I, I did do a little looking online to see if there had been any movie adaptations of the book, and interestingly enough, it had long since been attempted yet never successfully completed until a few years ago when they actually did create um, a movie or a set of movies for the book, and they had Broken the book up into three sections like it is, and then created and and um, produced three separate movies based on those three sections. And so I went online and I took a look at the trailers, and some of them have some pretty significant casts, um, but I just don't know that this is a book that really would lend itself well to a motion picture. However, given the fact that the book was written in 1957 or published in 1957 or something like that. I can see the uh, impact or the inspiration that it was to other films because I found myself finding similarities to portions of the book to a movie like Twelve Monkeys or even a movie like Demolition Man. And when you think about it, Demolition Man is about a, a new dystopian society that um, there's a, an underground movement to get back to the way things used to be and that was the edgar friendly dennis leary character and that's really what atlas shrugged is it's a new dystopian um uh dystopian society and an underground movement that is attempting to either get things back to the way they were or stay in hiding until the world shits itself and then coming out of hiding and starting up it's uh, starting up all over again that to me, was was Demolition Man. That was Twelve Monkeys with the Brad Pitt character, and so I've done some a little bit of research online to see if there's been any correlations between Atlas Shrugged and these movies, and there hasn't been a whole lot written about it. Um, so maybe I'm wrong. I I don't know, but it seems to me that with with Atlas Shrugged, you have. Uh, throughout the course of the story, you have all of these successful innovators and businessmen who have reached a breaking point where they cannot go on any further because the political uh, policies have have taken everything away from them, that they disappear. They, they disappear from the face of the earth. They go off the map. And you later find out that what they've done is they've gone underground in hiding where they're going to create their their perfect society and then wait until the world craps itself to start all over again and that to me is the idea of 12 monkeys of demolition man of uh the running man um you know at the end of the movie where you've got this underground group of people these militants who decide that they're going to overtake the the bad guys so i can see a lot of how how atlas shrugged can be an inspiration for those movies i just don't know if that's truly what it was now the book was written like i said over a course of i think an eight or ten year period of time and was published in whatever it was 1957 and so i wonder how much of this book was based on the fear of communism when you think about when the book was started in the late 1940s right after world war ii it ended Um, you've got the beginning of communism, you've got the closing off of of East Germany from West Germany, and communism at that point was an unknown, but based on the closing of East Germany and some of the other politicians of that time, I think it was pretty clear, uh, maybe not, but that it was clear to the world, or at least to those who were informed, that communism was the closing off of innovation and the the belief that everything is for the good of the state as opposed to for personal good. And I wonder if Atlas Shrugged was a um, kind of a response to that because in 19 mid 1950s with the red scare and, and things like that, I bet you this book did resonate with people, but I wonder how much it resonates now uh, with communism no longer being in existence. Um, This idea that the, the, political climate can completely shut down an entire economy uh, it just seems at least in the United States that it's not possible and I say that now and hope that we're never in a situation where it is possible but it I just wonder if this is a book that will continue to stand the test of time because the longer you get away from communism and that type of a a um, society that is focused on the good of others as opposed to personal success, um, I wonder how much that book is really going to resonate with readers. The moral or the objectivism of it, it makes sense no matter what time of year, what year, what society, the idea that the people should be rewarded for their own efforts and their innovations should provide them with success because what you ended up have what ep- ended up happening in the book is the people determined that the sweat of their labors was not providing them with any additional benefit that the additional benefit they were receiving was going to everybody else so there was no incentive for them to continue to produce and that thus resulted in the slowing down and eventual termination of the country's economy but that in and of itself we can understand look we should be able to benefit from our own efforts and if we work our ass off and we invent something or we create innovation um then we should benefit from it absolutely but it seems to me that that's kind of a no-brainer um and so i wonder how that was in 1957 when the book came out if it was as obvious then as it is now um so that's it. That's uh, Atlas Shrugged. That's kind of everything I wanted to talk about the book. Like I said, I'm glad I read it. Um, I'm not sure what I will give it as far as stars. Obviously, it's it's probably the longest book I've ever read. When you consider how long it took me to read it, the length of the pages, the number of pages, the small writing. Um, and so I do sense, uh, I do have a feeling of accomplishment. Um, and so you know I, I will definitely let my friend know that I'm glad that she recommended it that I did enjoy it um, that I, I did certainly get a new way of thinking out of it, but it's more instead of a new way of thinking it's more of just a, a reaffirmation of of my of, of my original thoughts of of um, survival of the fittest and let your intuition and innovation be your uh, be your lead to your success so. Um, So, yeah, so that's Atlas Shrugged by uh, A9 Rand. Um, So that's a special bonus episode of uh, Book Therapy. This is Rob Cohen. You can find me at robcohen13.com, booktherapy13 at gmail.com, booktherapy13 on Twitter, booktherapy book book whatever. Um, Just find me. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, So this has been Rob Cohen for book therapy, and thank you for letting me lie on your couch.